Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Fishing for Men with Mac show. So once again, welcome. It is so good to have a chat with you again. And to all my South African friends, I hope that you have just been having a fabulous time in lockdown. And I just need to say, as I go into this, that um, I've got a house full of people, my kids, my parents-in-law, all are here. It's just a tremendous family time. So there'll probably be some noises as we go on with this podcast uh, for today. You actually have more time now to actually listen to podcasts, right? Uh, we've got like another two weeks in our hands if you live in South Africa. And if the lockdown has been a form of suffering for you so far, uh, kids driving you nuts, uh, bored out of your brain, no one to talk to, then maybe today's show will be a good show for you uh, to listen to. I'll be talking about the best way to survive suffering. How do you endure through difficult times? And the key idea I will be sharing with you is coming from a man named Viktor Frankl, who was one of the very few survivors of the concentration camps during the Second World War. He was actually in Auschwitz, and I'll talk about that in a moment. And I'm very excited about this and believe it can really add value to your life. And if you get it, it can add value to the lives of other people you meet. Because if you would like to connect with people and be a positive influence on their lives, then this will be one of the most powerful tools. If you like counseling, it's important to listen to this podcast. If you just want to make other people feel good, then this is a very important podcast for you to listen to. And I'm going to take it from a book called Man's Search for Meaning. Just some of the thoughts I'm going to take from there. Now, uh, the question that you might ask is, what does this have to do with fishing, fishing for men? Uh, this is not a psychological channel. Well, let me give you two reasons why I think this is extremely important. Firstly, most people you meet th that have uh, found disliking in faith, uh, people that don't like the idea of God or religion, will often say that one of the reasons why they don't want to believe in God is because they have suffered They've experienced some serious suffering. Somebody has died or they were born differently or they've seen other people experience suffering. Uh, I know a man by the name of, of Stan, a very old man. And you, usually when he gives you a handshake, his hands are like hard. He's had a tremendous hard life. I think he's over 90 years old now. He lives in South Africa, but he came from Poland. And he refuses to believe in God for like 40 years. He would bring his his wife to church, but he wouldn't come to church. He, he didn't want to do the God thing. So he survived the Second World War. He saw what the Nazis did to the Jews. Uh, he saw what they did to his family members, some of the atrocities that they committed. And therefore, he does not want to believe in God because he says, well, God could have stopped that. Um so suffering has a direct impact on how we view God. Now, there's two fundamental questions about this that people usually ask when they suffer. Why is this happening to me? Why did this happen? Why did God not stop that? Why did God this? Why did God that? Why am I experiencing this? And then the second question is, how am I going to handle this suffering? How am I going to make it through this lockdown, this boring, dead giveaway lockdown? How am I going to um, survive with the idea that my that my partner has died or that my mom has passed away and that I'll never see her again? How will I survive this month when there's more month at the end left after the bucks? You, you get what I'm saying. Now, the why question, 
why do bad things happen to us? Why is there suffering? I mean, that's a loaded, a loaded discussion to have. That we'll deal with in the in another day. But I think the 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 how question is more important. And this show today will be a little bit more about the how question. Because as you fish for men, you will meet people who are desperate to figure out how to keep going when they don't want to anymore, when they want to give up. What, what do you say to people that want to give up on life? The suicide rates are high, ladies and gentlemen. People are struggling financially. Some people think it's currently the end of the world. Some people have serious health issues that they will never recover from. Uh, people are depressed. And if we want to show people following Jesus is a good idea, then we will, we will actually do well to help them see it's possible to make it through their suffering. And that the most powerful way to do that is through Christ. Now, if that old statement I've just made doesn't make sense to you, I just want you to hang in there. Secondly, the second reason why it's important to deal with this is because Christianity is the only religion that offers a powerful and legitimate answer for suffering. It's the only, only religion that does that. Atheism is the worst faith to have if you don't like suffering. It's the worst faith to have if you want meaning in your life uh, because they don't have answers. They don't have a cure. They don't understand where suffering comes from. They don't understand where evil comes from. In, in the atheist's mind, we are just like the animals. And just like the animals suffer uh, without meaning, so human beings suffer and it also has no meaning. And obviously atheists, they don't have an answer for this, this, this atrocity that we call death. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of Quora. That's Q-U-O-R-A. I somehow or another got stuck into Quora. Um, it's, like a, it's like an online question answering machine. You can go there. You can go onto the website and you can literally like ask any question that's on your heart and your mind. Anything that you can imagine. And someone in the world, maybe in the other side of the world will answer your question. I like to go on there and answer people's questions, well, the questions that I like, because people ask some really silly questions. Now, I've been answering some of these questions the last few weeks, and, and you know what's, what, what's been so interesting for me the last few weeks is about how many questions have been asked about the coronavirus. Some serious questions like, will the world ever recover from this virus? Some of the people ask that question. Is this the beginning of the end of the world? You can almost hear in some of those questions like the do 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 do. It's like it's like the end of the world. How will I ever get over the tragedy and suffering of this virus? I mean, people are scared. People feel it's like the end times. People feel people are looking everywhere for answers to this this tremendous virus they and i think people are picturing those movies you know like quarantine maybe they feel we're going to turn into zombies or whatever now what do you see in these questions what do you see is the state of mind of these people i think that they're worried and i'm sure that you've got some of them in your family right they go outside every day seeing if jesus is coming they are paranoid they wash their hands every 10 minutes 
They're going to the book of Revelation to see if the virus is related to one of the four horses. And people are putting all kinds of writings and all kinds of videos on, on Facebook trying to explain the depth and the, the seriousness and, and how this virus is related to world conspiracies and, and how there's a new world power coming. I mean, in between the coronavirus stories, you find stories about being microchipped. And, and so there's, a, there's sort of a global paranoia in the hearts and minds of some people. There's fear, there's panic. People have a bleak picture of the future and some people think that this is the end. And then there are others who say, nah, you know, don't go overboard. It's it's not that bad. The, the, you know, the world will be okay. This is not the end. Now, what's the difference between these two types of people? Look, we're all stuck in this thing. We're all either in a lockdown. We're all you know, can't go to work. This virus has an effect on all of us, right? So, so we're all in this and we're all wrestling with some questions. Um, but what's the difference between those who go seriously paranoid and those who are calm? Stick around. The answer to this question will be the same answer as the question about how to endure suffering. So, let me talk about this book from Viktor Frankl. And don't worry, I'm not going to read a book on on the podcast. I just want to tell you about it and, and what I learned from it. And obviously there's loads of other stuff, but I want to give to you the key thought. And, and that's cool because if you listen to this podcast, let's say it's going to be 20 or 30 minutes long. Here's the cool thing. You actually don't have to go buy this book and read it because you're going to get it like in, in 10 minutes. I'm going to save you lots of reading. Isn't that a blessing? All right. So Victor Frankl, he was a psychiatrist. He was arrested and thrown into uh, concentration camps in Poland I think that there were about six concentration camps and he was thrown into, um, he, he actually went to a few of those. But before he was arrested and thrown into um, one of those camps, he was busy writing a book. And when he had to leave his house, he couldn't take anything with him except the clothes on his back. And so he took his, his clothes on his back and he took this book of his, the, the, the manuscript for it, or the transcript. Um, it was the most valuable thing that he had. But when you arrive in these concentration camps, the first thing they would do is, is strip you of your clothes, take anything that is of value, shave your hair, and give you clothes to wear, like prisoner clothes. And usually that, those clothes would be of somebody that have died before them. And then they would take the weak, they would take the children, the sick, and the elderly, and they will have them killed because they are of no value. They just immediately take them to be killed. And the others who were strong enough, they would be used for labor. Now, when Frankel arrived, he had to strip, obviously, and let go of everything he has. And so he also lost his notes of the book that he was busy uh, writing. And so what he did is he was one of the lucky guys to survive. I mean, there was daily pressure not to die. And somehow or another, he made it through this concentration camp right until the end of the war. And what he what he used to do is, is that while he was in captivity, he used to watch people. He used to watch the people that died. He obviously had relationships with people. And he took little notes on small pieces of paper as time went on, trying to prepare himself for the time that he could write this book. And when he started left the the concentration camp and he actually made it out that's when he sat down and he wrote this book and he i think he used probably some of the notes that he made in prison and that's the book that i have here in my hand called man's search for meaning so the thoughts that you have in this book is re comes from a real person who was stuck in a real life struggle 
that you and I cannot even start to comprehend. And so when he talks about this, he really knows what he's talking about. I purchased it. I read it. And I wanted to share some of these thoughts uh, with you. Viktor Frankl, when he came out of prison, he went on to live a long, good life uh, as a, a psychiatrist. And he, and he invented something that's called logotherapy. And I will explain that as we progress as well, because I think it's phenomenal. I've done some serious psychology uh, studies uh, in my life, and um, I've studied psychotherapy, and I never came across logotherapy, and I think it is the best form of therapy. I've, it's totally changed my mind about counseling, and it's something that I'll probably use for the rest of my life. So I want to tell you a little bit about the concentration camps, because in the book he does talk about that, because that will give you sort of an idea as to what life was like um, in a concentration camp. You might have heard um, of the Second World War. So I'm just going to go in a hint here and, and maybe you don't know much details about it. But the war was really started by Nazi Germany. Um, you might have heard of Auschwitz. Uh, I've heard the word Auschwitz many times, but only this year uh, of my life, I, I came to understand what Auschwitz is. It was basically a work camp, one of the biggest um, concentration camps where people also did work. And it was the worst of all the concentration camps. There were millions of people killed there. Um, so when the Russians and Americans conquered Germany, that was late on in the war, and entered Poland, they were shocked to find the atrocities that took place in these camps. The Germans thought they were the supreme race and that the world needs to be rid of all Jews. And so as the Germans in the beginning of the war conquered Poland, Czechoslovakia, uh, Austria, Lithuania, and all of those countries there, they took the Jews that they came across and they had them killed. But later on, it seems like killing them became a problem. You know why? Because the bullets were too expensive. And it was quite a problem to get rid of the bodies. And so they built massive concentration camps. The worst of these being Auschwitz. And here they built gas chambers to gas the Jews to death. They had huge incinerators to burn the bodies. You see, it would be cheaper to kill. I mean, because they killed masses and masses of people at a time. So they needed to find a way to kill as many people as possible at the same time at the least cost. And then find a way to take these bodies and get rid of them uh, without, you know, creating a big uh, biological or, you know, maggot disaster. Um, so killing them with gas was just cheaper and easier. And as the German army captured the Jews, they loaded them on trains and then sent them to these concentration camps. Uh, for days, they would stand in these trains like cattle, no food and no toilets. Can, can you imagine that? You can't even see out of the train. Apparently, there were just small holes on the sides of the trains. And you could, you could look through the holes if people would allow you to look. But usually, the people on the, on the edges wouldn't allow anybody to, to look because it was so boring in the train. Can you imagine that? Standing for like three days in a train. You can't urinate. You can't go do a number two. So you've got to do it right there where you're standing in between a whole crowd of people, of people you've never met before, people you don't know. Eventually, you stop at the concentration camp. You don't know what's going to happen there. You've heard stories of what happens there. They take you out of the, 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 the train. They undress you. And then they shave all your hair. And then they either put you in a gas chamber where you think you're going to take a shower, but then you're gassed and you, and you die. And you are separated from your husband or your wife. You're separated from your children. I mean, it is horrifical. Um, very few people survive these camps. Ladies and gentlemen, this is real. 
This was done by human beings. And, and just a side note, you want to know where evil comes from? It comes from human beings. It's not from God. But in any case. And so Viktor Frank, Frankl was just one of those people. And he came and he wrote about his experiences, his time there. He said that when they shaved his head and they took all his stuff and gave him a number, he struck out his whole former life. He realized he is nothing. People lost their identities. They just became numbers. Number 66 has just died. They, they lost their names. Nobody knew each other by names. You had a neurosurgeon standing next to a janitor naked. Everybody was nothing. You had to let go of everything. Your whole past doesn't mean anything when you step into that concentration camp. Doesn't matter how clever you are, how much money you have. You are absolutely worth nothing. And every day they received a slice of bread and a little soup. That was what they ate. That's why when you go into some of the, and you look at some of the World War II photos of people in concentration camps, they're extremely skinny. One of the SS guards, now the SS, that, that, that were the, they were the soldiers of, of, of Germany, told Frank Frankel one day he saw a piece of flesh missing from one of the corpses. They had a, a section where they put the corpses when they, when they died of disease. And he went looking to see what was going on, and he found some of this, this person's um, flesh being cooked in a pot and so cannibalism had broken out I mean it's horrible to think about that you are so hungry that you would that you would even consider eating another person it is it is crazy and so they were hungry and they were sick they were cold they shared space to sleep they didn't have any mattresses and so they would they would be they would be pushed together like sardines and they would literally sleep tight next to the the person in front of them. There was only space to sleep on your side. Can you can you imagine that? Um and here's the interesting thing that he says in the book. He says that they slept so well. They slept like like babies. And you know what's the reason for that? He says because their dreams were better than their lives. It they wanted to sleep because then they could escape their reality. You go to sleep and it's like heaven. You wake up the next morning and you're back in hell. And one of the things that he talks about is what did the prisoners dream about the most? And you know, dreams are interesting because usually you dream about your, your greatest desires, right? You know what they, they dreamt about? They dreamt about bread, cigarettes, cake, or a nice warm bath. And when last did you dream about things like that, right? You dream about cake, cigarettes, a bread, a nice warm bath i mean i think many of you listening now can go to the fridge and go get some bread you can go now and go eat some cake you can go now and take a warm bath um if you you can go now and, and grab a cigarette okay he talks of one trip well probably not in lockdown i'm not sure okay? he talks of one trip where they went outside the camp to to go work and they passed a polish prison so this was a normal prison and they say that when they saw these prisoners they were so jealous of them all of them were healthy and strong and they were jealous of them because they had toothbrushes, they had warm water, and they had mattresses to sleep on. And they could receive and send letters to the outside world. They were in concentration camps. They didn't have any of that. Now, there are some really, really bad things that happen in these camps. And I, I don't want to talk any further about some of the gruesome things. But I, I want you to see this type of lifestyle. I want you to imagine in your mind that you are nothing. You are a number. You don't have enough food. Death is lurking for you around every corner. Um, there was nothing pleasant. How do you survive such suffering? 
How do you keep going on? How do you decide not to hang yourself? And this is one of the key features why Frankel wrote this book. And so this is what Frankel said. And I'd, I'd like you to just listen up to this. I mean, one of the statements that he made in the book is the following. And he says, everything can be taken from you in a given situation except your attitude. What attitude is he talking about? The attitude that he's talking about refers to a few things, but key and central to it is this fundamental word. And I'll be honest with you, I never really grasped this because I've never really suffered. But the, the word is this, it's hope. As long as you've got hope, there's a future. Like somebody said to me um, this morning, actually, that I phoned, somebody who's really struggling, he said, hope is what connects now to the future. It's a positive attitude that connects now to the future. It's a belief that the future is good. It's, it's that, that attitude that, that says, I have a future. I have a goal. There is something good waiting for me. I want to make it through this concentration camp because my wife is waiting for me on the other side. Because I'm going to write this book when I'm done with this prison. And all of that hope in you produces positivity. It produces a positive attitude. It's seeing the glass as half full instead of half empty. And he quotes Nietzsche. Nietzsche said, he who has a why to live can bear with almost any how. Let me explain that to you. If you know why you live, if you give yourself a reason to live, you can make it through anything. You can make it through any type of suffering if you give yourself a reason. He quotes Bismarck. Bismarck said, life is like being at the dentist. You always think that the worst is still to come and yet it is over already. Sometimes we walk around and when we think about the future, we just think it's going to be bad. There's only bad things wait, waiting for us. You can hear it when you talk to people. They're generally negative. Oh, what's happening to this country? Oh, what's happening to the world? Oh, it's the end of everything. Oh, I can't do anything in my, in my life. There's no future for me. I am useless. I can do nothing. The people in the concentration camps, ladies and gentlemen, who gave up are the people who believed that they would never get out. They died early and they didn't make it out. That is what Viktor Frankl is teaching us in his book. He observed them. He saw very carefully that only those who had a picture in their mind, something that they lived towards, people who looked to the future, imagined their lives when they get out of these concentration camps. Those are the people that survived. But the people who gave up, the people who said, well, this is now life. I must just settle down and just, it's just the way that it's going to be. I'm going nowhere. I'm going to die here. Those are the people who died very quickly. You can only live by looking at the future, Victor says. I want that to sink in. You can only live by looking at the future. You cannot live your life looking back the whole time. You cannot live your life looking at the present the whole time either. Especially if you're suffering, you're going through a difficult time. If you let that captivate you, you're not going to go forward. The prisoner who had lost his faith in the future, his future was doomed. And, 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 you know, Victor talks about, you could see when people had given up. Like a person that is sick would one morning just refuse to get up and get dressed and go to the parade. The SS guards would come and they would blow and threat and beat them. But they still wouldn't get up. That person would just lie there, not moving. He'd made a decision. 
right? He would stop drinking. He would stop eating. He would stop taking medicine if there's anything. He would refuse to go to the sick bed. He would lie there in his own urine and excrement. He would just lie there. Then if, if Victor says, when you see that, when you see a person give up, they don't make any change in, the, in, their, in, in their situation, then you know that person has decided to die. And let me be honest with you. You can actually see it in people today as well. You can see when people have given up on life. They don't want to make their, their house neat anymore. They don't want to go out of the house. They don't want to go meet people. They want, don't want to embrace the world. They don't want to fix their appearance. They, they've, they've, they've given up on life. They've given up on their futures. Now, one of the prisoners confided in him one day and said to him that he had had a dream. Somewhere in the month of February, he had a dream that the war would end and they would be liberated on this specific date, 30 March 1945. Now, he had a dream in February. He was so positive and happy. Every day the guy would wake up and he'd say, I can't wait. It's around the corner. We're going to be liberated. But when the 29th of March came, they received the news that it was highly unlikely for them to be saved either by uh, Russia or by the Americans or the, the Allied forces. The war, the war was terrible. Nobody was close to saving them. And you know what happened? On the 29th, this guy suddenly fell ill. I'm going to let you deal with this based on what I've said so far. Suddenly he became sick on the 29th when he heard that news. On the 30th, the day that he believed that they were going to be saved, he was bedridden. He couldn't walk anymore. And on the 31st, the day after uh, they were supposed to be saved, he died. He died of typhus, which was the common uh, illness in the concentration camps. And typhus was really about um, the, the symptoms of that would be a fever, headache and a rash caused by the type of lice. I mean, I mean, this, that's just a horrid disease to have. Now, the ultimate cause of his death was his mindset. It was his attitude. It was his loss of hope. It was his lack of faith in the future. It was his severe disappointment. Severe disappointment. And not trusting that the future is going to be good can cost you your life. He was positive up to the point that he realized that they're not going to be saved. And he's not going to get out of this concentration camp. And that's the moment that he died. I think this is a vivid explanation. A real example of how we could destroy our lives if we don't believe that there's a good future waiting for us and so this attitude that frankl says we need to have includes three things and i really want to challenge you with this find a reason to live not to die and there are many people in this world ladies and gentlemen that just don't have a reason to live this means focusing on the future not the past you cannot continually think about what happened when you were a kid, how you were beat by your dad, or how you lost that business three years ago, or how you made a bad decision 10 years ago, or about how your previous husband beat you. You cannot continually think about the past because you will never walk forward. It will destroy you. So you have to make a decision to focus on something in the future. Where do you want to be in the future? What is there in your life? Who are there in your life that needs you to be you? It was Nietzsche who made this statement, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. And they've made songs about this. And it is true, ladies and gentlemen. 
the tough times are going to be tough. But tough people survive tough times. And the only way the tough people survive is because they think to the future. They don't let themselves be bogged down with the present or with the past. So that's the first thing. Find a reason to live. Don't find a reason to die. Number two, dress every day with positivity. Every day decide to be positive. One of the SS gods told Frankel that if he wants to survive, he needs to shave every day. Even if that means there is to shave with a piece of glass. The fitter and healthier you look, the better your chances of surviving. Because you see, the SS gods would look at them and say, well, who's likely going to die soon? And if you've shaved, it's shown that you had a positive attitude, that you wake up this, you woke up this morning and you're strong and you're ready to go into the future. It's the same in our lives too. Positive things tend to happen to those who stay positive. Don't forget that tough people outlive tough situations. And you know, I heard that from, I heard that from Rowdy, Rhonda, Rousey. I mean, that's a statement I heard last night. I looked at her documentary, which is a really interesting, interesting thing. You make it through tough times by staying positive. Always staying positive. Thirdly, and this might be unexpected, in your trial, in your struggle, in your suffering, have fun. Frankl says one of the most powerful tools that they had in, in the concentration camp was humor. If you're in a bad situation, well, why not just make fun of it? Why not just make jokes of it? Right? It's so good to laugh. And you know what? Sometimes the stuff that we go through is so ridiculous. The only thing that you can do is make jokes of it. And that's quite cool because some people have taken to this about the coronavirus. I mean, if you look on Facebook and some of the memes, I mean, people have really like put up some really amazing, funny jokes. I mean, it's, it's, it's just hilarious. Okay, so let, let me bring it home. Guys, Christianity is the only religion that produces this thing that we call hope. The only thing that gives us a, a secure future. Hinduism and Buddhism shows a bleak future as an example. You know what you know what it's about? You know what Hinduism is about? Hinduism is about coming back to this planet through reincarnation, coming back to this world, coming back to a fallen world. Well, you're coming back as a dog or as a person or as a plant or as a rock or whatever. That reincarnation is about coming back to this to this to this um, this planet with all of its issues. It's back to load shedding, and it's back to dying because you're going to die again every time you get reincarnated. You're going to die again. I mean, over and over again, the same thing for crying in a bucket. Really, I don't know if that's hope or that's a good future. And if you know that you made a mess in this life, you are so scared of the future because you're probably going to come back as a, I don't know, a cactus or something. I mean, it's, 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 it's such a bleak future that these man-made religions promise you. And, and what about Islam? Islam guarantees no future. No Muslim knows if he will be going to heaven. You can go ask any, any Muslim. And Muhammad, he didn't have to endure anything. He didn't go through any type of suffering. Only in Christianity does God guarantee life after death. You have it now. If your faith has been placed in Christ and you are in Him through obedience to the gospel, you belong to Him. Your future is secure. You've got hope for eternal life and you can die tomorrow. You're going you're gonna to be okay. Only in Christianity can you be certain that you will live forever even though you die. And you know what? You will never die again. 
So it doesn't matter what happens to you in this world because there's always a bright and awesome future. It doesn't matter if you even get COVID-19 because if you die, you've got a great future. You get to go to God earlier and go to the second, the, the new heaven and new earth earlier before everybody else and to experience glory that is incomprehensible. And so, I mean, the person who's got that positive future, you don't have to fear anything. It's so interesting for me how I know some atheist people. I mean, they are so paranoid. They are so scared of dying. You know why? Because they've got no hope. There's no positive thing for them on the other side of death. They will do everything that they can to stay on this side of death. And they try to um, make sure that they delay the day of their death, but they can't get rid of it. The best is always yet to come. The best is always yet to come. Life is like a dentist. Remember Bismarck? You, you think the worst is coming when the worst is already over. The nerve has already been taken out. The best days lies ahead. And if you can take those words, you can just stick it into your mind and say it every day. The best days are still coming. The best days are still coming. Then the best days will come for you. Let me give you some scriptures. Look at Jesus. He says that the Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 to 3 says that we need to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Listen to this. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Why do you think that Jesus endured the cross? Why did he do it with a smile? Why did he do it so passionately? Because he knew what was lying on the other side. The joy set before him. The whole world would be saved through him. He would spend eternity with you and me. That is what kept him happy. He was looking forward. He wasn't stuck in the moment. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Philippians 3 verse 14. Paul says, but one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He says, I forget what's behind. I move forward to what is ahead and I cannot wait for the prize that God has in store for me. Second Corinthians 4, uh, Paul speaks on behalf of the apostles and he says that we are hard pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. And this is what he says. He says, so he's saying on the outside, our bodies, our flesh, they're just fading away. They're just being beaten up by this life, right? But he says, but on the inside, we're becoming new every day. It's like you've got the skin on and every day in your soul, you're shedding the skin because you're just growing. You become a new person. And then he says in verse 17, he says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. He says we fix our eyes on the eternal things and we fix our eyes on Jesus, not on the struggles that we're going through now. And that's what kept him going forward. 
It is just such a beautiful story in the book of Luke chapter 16. Paul and Silas, they've been locked into prison. And you know what they do when they're locked into prison? When they're in lockdown like we are? In the middle of the night, they start singing praises to God. Now, here's, here's a key. I mean, who sings praises? Who sings songs? You know, you know when we usually sing songs? When we are happy. How could you be happy in prison? Well, you had to have a bigger goal than that prison. If you keep on looking at the chains in your hands, you're never going to sing. If you're looking at the prison bars, you're never going to sing. But if you know that there's something outside of this prison that is coming, something big, something powerful, and that you being in chains is going to make a difference in this world that we're living in, then you're going to sing with joy. And that's what Paul had. And it doesn't matter what they did to him. They beat him. They flogged him. They put him in um, in, in places where he had to fight wild beasts i mean he he was stoned he was naked at the sea he was shipwrecked he was bitten by a by a, a viper that he survived i mean he was just hated by people and i mean through all of that he just keeps on smiling he's just extremely happy through his suffering how did he do it he didn't keep on looking back and he didn't get stuck in the moment but he kept on looking at what was ahead of him and that was the promises of christ and the eternal life that was waiting for him that's why he's willing to go through anything Hebrews 11 verse 24 says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, rather than in, to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now let's look at the world, guys. Most people would rather choose pleasure now, and especially the pleasure of sin Thinking that that's the be all and end all and how to live your life. But look at what he's look at what he's what he did. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Ladies and gentlemen, these are just some scriptures. I, I literally just picked four or five that came to my mind. There are hundreds of these. This is what makes the Christian faith different. There's always hope. There's always good news. That's why the gospel is good news. There's always a future. There's always great stuff that God has planned for us in advance to do. I can go on and on and on and on. I can throw you with scriptures and ideas. Christianity is a positive faith. It is a faith drowned in hope. No other faith can provide that. Every great servant of God endured their suffering by looking to the future. And so let me ask you this question. So, what do you have to live for? There might be a person in your life that needs you to live. There might be a business that can do great success. You might be serious about God and there might be some souls out there. I, I want to tell you that if you want to make disciples, there are people with names and God has identified them and God has already decided that he wants to use you to change their lives. There's no time for depression. There's no time for looking back. There's only time for looking forward. God has got this. If you stick with him, he's got a future for you. He's at the steering wheel and he's got good stuff waiting for you. What does life need from you? Who or what can you focus on to make it through the present? And I just want to give you a side note as well. One of the things that these guys did uh, in, the, in the concentration camps to survive, as I said earlier, was laughter, humor. I want to tell you something. If you didn't know this, did you know that God laughs? Psalm 2 verse 4 says that he who sits in the heavens laughs. We serve a God of great humor. And if God is human and he can laugh, man, then you and I can do it too. 
There's lots of stuff to laugh about. And lastly, if you're in quarantine or you are in uh, some place where the coronavirus is having a big impact or you're at home, I want to read you something. This is one of these um, photos that went around on, on Facebook. I think this is actually from Australia. Um, how to shift your mindset in a pandemic. And I think this will summarize neatly our current situation. You've got one of two choices. You can think like the one side or the other side. I'm going to give you both sides. I'm stuck at home. That's the negative way. Or you can think I'm safe in my home with my loved ones. You could have this in your mind the whole time. I will get sick. Oh, you're probably going to. Anyways, now, what you could say is, I will practice safe social distancing, self-isolation, and wash my hands to decrease the chances of getting sick. You could think, I will run out of the items I need during this self-isolation. Or you can think, I have everything I need for now, and I will use my items wisely. You could think negatively, everything around me is shutting down, I'm panicked. Or you could say, Essential places like grocery stores, pharmacies, and medical centers are open. I'll be okay. You could have the negative idea of there's too much uncertainty in the world right now. Or you could think, I can't control the situation, but I can control my actions. I can keep informed. I can look after myself and act responsibly to help at this time. And I can draw near to God. Guys, have a fantastic day. Love you lots. Bye.